Well, welcome to a another time of going through the Word of God, and I'm so glad that you're joining me on this journey through the book of First Thessalonians, as we're about to look at chapter three today, and I'm I'm really looking forward to this. And again, if you haven't had a chance to go through and subscribe to my YouTube channel, please do that. Facebook, Instagram, links are all in the descriptions below. Like, comment, subscribe, share these videos as much as possible. Please put your comments down. Let people see what you're getting out of this. First Thessalonians chapter three, verse one. What is this chapter about? It's about afflictions. Why do we have afflictions? And what does God use them for? Um, I think we can all relate to this, either now or at some stage in our lives previously or in times to come. So very applicable. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. What does he say, therefore? Because in the previous verses, he's just convinced the church in Thessalonica of how much he loves them, how much he cares for them, and why he couldn't come back there and why he had to send Timothy and Silas with this letter um, because he'd been chased out of Thessalonica to Corinth and uh, you know now he finds himself in Athens alone. Uh, he's, I mean, it's just a tough time for, for Paul right now. Um, he says, and I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. In the previous chapter, Paul has explained how much he wanted to be with them during the time of trial. But since he couldn't be there, he just, he does the next best thing. He sends his trusted companion, Timothy. Okay. And he was willing to be left alone in Athens. Now you have to remember, this is Paul. One of the characteristics of Paul's ministry, very rarely spent time alone. Always knew the value of team. Always knew the value of having somebody alongside him. But he was like, for the sake of what you need, I'm willing to be left alone in Athens so that Timothy can go and do what you need to do. Now, he says here that Timothy is a minister of God, which uh, Leon Morris says this, originally the word denoted the service of a table waiter. And from that, it came to signify lowly service of any kind. That's what the word minister originally meant, lowly service. Uh, Paul wanted Timothy to do two things, to establish the church and encourage the church. Now, both are necessary, but you have to establish a church first in order to encouragement. Encouragement can only come after something has been established in the right direction, Otherwise, you're encouraging somebody and something to go in the wrong direction. Verse 3, that no one should be taken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. <laughs> As the Thessalonians were established and then encouraged, they would not be shaken by these afflictions. And Timothy's ministry was going to help them endure their present hardship. It wasn't going to take it away. It was just going to help them endure it. David Guzik, without a good understanding of the truth concerning the place of suffering in the life of the believer, we are in great danger of being shaken in our faith. I see this all, almost every day of being a pastor. Yesterday, I got a message. Day before it, I'll get one tomorrow. People going through a tough time, they're like, oh, well, I'm just, I'm, I don't know if I can last. I don't know if my faith can last. They, they're just shaken. What are they shaken by? Afflictions. Okay, so what do I send them back? Word of God. 
encouragement from the Holy Spirit. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know that their time of present suffering was actually in God's control. These were afflictions that they were appointed to. Nobody wants to hear that, but as part of a normal Christian life, believers have an appointment with affliction. It just is what it is. Some people believe that Christians shouldn't suffer affliction uh, and that God only wants to teach us by his word and not through trials or tribulation. Well, it's actually true that a lot of suffering that we endure could be spared if we simply obeyed the word of God. If we just did what it told, we wouldn't have the affliction. In other words, it's, it, it's self-inflicted. Uh, self-inflicted affliction, how's that? God wants to spare us that suffering, no doubt about it. Nevertheless, you have to remember, God used suffering to teach Jesus. Hebrews 2.20, he, he was made perfect through sufferings. God used sufferings to teach Jesus, therefore it is good enough to teach us. God does teach the believer, you and me, perseverance, obedience, how to comfort others, and having a deeper fellowship with Jesus all through trials and afflictions. Doesn't mean we like them. Now, there are two ancient Greek words used to translate the concept of suffering. And neither of them is used exclusively in regard to just persecution. People like to mix up persecution and affliction, but they're, they're very different. The, the word philipsis was used for such things as physical pain, emotional hardships, uh, suffering under temptation. Now, the word pasco was used for such things as physical suffering, not, not physical pain, but physical suffering that were unrelated to persecution. What it was related to was suffering under temptation and hardships in a general sense of life. David Guzik, the truth is that affliction means that God loves us enough to give the best when we may only desire what is easy. So in other words, the best for you could be afflictions, but you don't want it because you want that's hard and you want easy. He goes on to say, the symbol of Christianity is the cross, not a feather bed. Affliction is just part of following Jesus. Therefore, Paul recognized that Christians are appointed to affliction. Verse four. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know. When Paul was with the Thessalonians, which was just a few months before writing this letter, he warned them, you're going to suffer tribulations. And, and even though he was with them for only a few weeks, he taught them about the place of suffering in the Christian life. Uh, it's so important for new Christians to understand the role of suffering, suffering and afflictions, and that giving your life to Christ doesn't mean all of a sudden now your life is easy and it's just easy street. No. That's why new Christians need to be taught this. Otherwise, new Christians will give their lives to Jesus, suffer afflictions and be like, I'm out. Jesus' parable of the soil in Matthew chapter 13, he described the way that some people would fall away when, when trials come because of the word. And Jesus said, when tribulation arises, not if tribulation arises, the Christian's faith is going to be tested. And Paul knew this. And as a good pastor, he warns the Thessalonians about it. Verse 5. For this reason, 
when I could no longer endure endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. You can imagine him writing this in in desperation, uh, the, the, the heart, because he could barely endure the thought that the faith of these wonderful Thessalonians could crumble under a season of short affliction. So he sends Timothy to check on them and to help them. And he recognized that the tempter, uh, Satan, the devil, wanted to exploit this season of suffering. Uh, Same as in Job, uh, Satan wanted to tempt the Thessalonians to give up on God. Um, If the Thessalonians did give up on God, and waver in their faith, then Paul would consider his work among them to basically have been in vain. Uh, Go back to the parable of the soils, Matthew 13. Jesus described the seed that withered under the heat of trials, and if the Thessalonians withered, Paul's hard work as a farmer among them was going to bear no harvest whatsoever. Now, Paul actually did something to prevent the Thessalonians from falling under the weight of their affliction. What did he do? He sent Timothy to them because those who are in affliction need the help of other godly people. Verse six. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. When Timothy returned uh, from his visit to, Thess- to the Thessalonians, he brought good news. And the Thessalonians, they're doing well in their faith and love, and Paul helped them to do even better with this letter that he wrote. Now, this is interesting on the word good news that he used in this verse 6. The verb that, that, that Paul employs is the one which is usually translated, preach the gospel. So, in fact, this is the only place in the whole of Paul's writings where the word good news is used in any other sense apart from the message of Jesus Christ. Interesting. Then he says that you always have good remembrance of us. Timothy brought good news that the Thessalonians had not believed the vicious and the horrible rumors about Paul. And I'm sure that put his mind at ease. Verse 7. Therefore, brethren, In all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. I can imagine him preaching this. Paul wrote this letter from Corinth and and his coming to that city was marked by difficulty. Uh, He said of his coming to Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 2, I was, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Yet since Timothy came back with good news, Paul now has this renewed strength and freshness of life. For now we live. And it made Paul feel better that the Thessalonians were actually doing well. Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Paul's thanks and joy overflowed because he knew that they they stood fast in the Lord. Look, some people find it easy to rejoice in the material prosperity of others, 
But Paul honestly rejoiced in the spiritual prosperity of others. He didn't celebrate when they got a new boat or a new car, even because of God's blessings or whatever it might be, you know, or just that they could put bread on the table. He was always more intent on rejoicing in the spiritual prosperity. Prosperity is a Bible word, okay? We don't like it. It got hijacked. It's been hijacked by many false teachers and preachers, prosperity gospels and all those kind of things. But it is a Bible word. And, and prospering as your soul prospers is, is something that, it, it, that is, is Paul wanted them to know. I want your soul and your spirit to prosper, as well as all the other things that God has promised. But that's what I really care about. Verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. He actually ends this with a question mark, which is very interesting, okay? Uh, he says that he's praying exceedingly. Paul heard good news from Timothy, but it wasn't enough. And this is a very important point. He wanted to see the face of the church in Thessalonica himself, okay? Paul wanted it enough to pray night and day exceedingly that God would make a way for him to see them himself. In the midst of all this joy, Paul calls attention to the fact that they actually were still lacking, even though Timothy had been there. Um, even though the apostle repeatedly complimented them, uh, he was concerned to perfect and that, that word perfect is the Greek word to complete what is lacking in their faith. Paul believed that his personal presence would actually be of help to the Thessalonians. Um, and and that, is, that, was, that, was, that was born out to be true. Uh, Matthew Poole, there is a peculiar blessing that attends oral preaching more than reading. What, what does he mean by that? There's a blessing in hearing something from somebody's mouth rather than just reading what they said. I hope that's part of what these videos do for many people. Um, okay, let's move on to verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Paul prays that he would be reunited with the Thessalonians soon because he wanted to make up for what was lacking. Now, what was it they were lacking? I'll tell you. They were lacking apostolic influence. That's what Paul was. Timothy wasn't operating in that capacity when he went there. They needed apostolic influence. And he says, now may our God and Father himself. Paul shows uh, that in this passage of basically a written prayer that he's, he's praying out for them and he's telling the Thessalonians what he's actually praying for them. And he says, and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is interesting because uh, Robert Thomas says this. Two persons viewed as one possess power to open the way to Thessalonica once again. Our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. 
is the compound subject of a singular verb, probably an indication of the unity of the Godhead. Paul knew that to get back to Thessalonica in his apostolic capacity, he needed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working together. He needed the Trinity. He needed God the Father. He needed Jesus, and he needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was encouraged at the state of the Thessalonians uh, and by the fruit of what Timothy's ministry had done there. But he prayed that God would direct his personal way to them which shows that Paul valued the ministry that others brought to them, like Timothy, but he believed they still needed the authoritative instruction and encouragement that only an apostle could give. Now, this if this is true, then that means that we also need to always be under apostolic influence. Paul and the rest of the apostles, they've graduated to glory but their writings remain. God has preserved the apostles' teaching for us in the New Testament. The church is founded upon apostles. Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2.20, the foundation of the New Jerusalem is the 12 apostles, Revelation 21. There was something significantly unique about the apostles and prophets, and that unique ministry is preserved in the New Testament. And it's a, it's a model for New Testament governmental oversight, including apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And that's why we need to model it today. That's why it's still needed, because Jesus hasn't come back yet. So the establishment of what Paul came up with, this is what he's saying to, to the church in, in Thessalonica. Hey, listen, you've had some great ministry from, from Timothy, but I need to come as an apostle. There's work I've got to, be, I've got to do. Verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. This was not a loveless church in Thessalonica, but they had room to grow in love because love is an essential mark of the Christian faith. Jesus spoke of the essential place love has in uh, being an identifying mark of a Christian. John 13, by this all will know that you are my disciples, my disciplined followers, if you have love one for another. So Paul looked at the Thessalonian Christians to show love to one another and to everybody else, to all. And, and this love begins in the family of God, but it has to go beyond the family of God. Jesus told us that our love is small and shallow if we only love those who love us. Matthew 5, 46, 47. So Paul says, just as we do for you, that's what you need to do. Paul sets himself as a standard of love which needs to be emulated by the church in Thessalonica. And we should live Christian lives that we could then tell young Christians, hey, love other people just the way I'm loving other people. And if you can't do that today, you need to start doing it. I don't care what your reason is for not doing it. Just start doing it. Uh, okay, let's move on. Last verse. So that he, God, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. Uh, let me read this to you. So that God, Jesus, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God the Father and God the Father 
at the coming of Lord Jesus Christ, who is God with all his God's saints. <laughs> That's how that verse would read if you were to put each, each uh, person of the Trinity in their place. You see, it's Paul making sure they understand the power of God. Paul knew that God wanted the Thessalonians to have hearts that um, were established blameless in holiness. The idea behind holiness is to be set apart from the world and set apart unto God. The genuine holy person is separated away from the domination of sin and self and the world, and they're separated to God. Um, David Guzik, the heart must be made holy first. The devil wants us to develop a holy exterior while neglecting the interior and the heart. But like whitewashed tombs full of death, as quoted in Matthew 23. Um, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul Paul here, and that's the term that he used at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Paul was reminded of Jesus' return and he wanted these young Christians in Thessalonica to remember, hey, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. See, nothing will encourage or inspire you to be set apart, to be holy, like remembering that Jesus could come in the next five seconds. Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians emphasized three different things that are very important for every Christian today. Number one, that Paul wanted to be with them so that they could benefit from his apostolic wisdom and authority. That's, that's applicable to us. We need to be under apostolic wisdom and authority. Number two, he wanted them to abound in love. That's us. We need to abound in love. Number three, he wanted them to be established in true heart holiness. That's the same for you and I. We need to have true heart holiness where our hearts are set apart from the world, set apart to God. What do we observe? Listen, we're going to have afflictions. That's what I observe. We're going to have them. But we are called to dominate and we are called to overcome. Jesus may just come back today. So live like it. Don't live like, oh, I don't know if I can handle the afflictions. I just don't know if I can do it. No, live like Jesus is your saviour. Jesus is your Lord. Live like he, the power of the Holy Spirit is in you. Live like that. Live with a passion for everybody to know Jesus the way that you do. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for everybody watching this, Lord, right now. Bless them, be with them, encourage them, Lord, lift them up. I pray, Lord, that they would just be established in, in the power of your presence, the power of your love This as, as, they, as they watch this. I don't, I don't know where they are, but wherever they are, you know where they are and you know what they're going through. You know the circumstances of their life right now at this very second that they're watching this particular uh, video, listening to this, Lord, wherever they're listening to it. And God, I pray, Lord, that you just allow them Lord, right now, just to have an understanding of Jesus Christ coming back for us one day. And that even though we might suffer afflictions, Lord, oh, one day we're going to be with you in eternity. But God, let us not just hang on until that time. Let's, let, let us overcome and dominate. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>